0: All right, well, uh, Matthew chapter number five is our text. Matthew and chapter number five. If you'd stand in honor of God's word here this morning, Matthew chapter five. <clears throat> in fact, we're, we're actually going to begin reading in, in chapter four, verse 23. Our series is entitled Jesus is King. And I'm here to tell you, just like I heard this morning in in the Sunday School Hour, as Brother Ted taught on, on Daniel and how that when they stood before the King Nebuchadnezzar, they were found to be 10 times better. And that wasn't anything due to Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, it was not because of him, but it was because they were under God's administration, under God's authority. And I'm here to tell you that life under Jesus' authority is 10 times better, 100 times better, however many, you just, to whatever power you wanna put it, all right? It's better, all right? Let's look at it. Uh, let's begin reading in chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went, ab- went about all Galilee and teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness in all manner of disease among the people. I'm glad we serve a God who loves people. He's in Galilee of the Gentiles, non-Jewish population, predominantly Jews there as well. He loves all people. And his fame, verse 24, went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were a lunatic, which would, had to do, if you remember, with those that had epileptic seizures. And, and so that's what that's talking about. You say, well, my kid's a lunatic. That's not what he's talking about. All right. So it's different. Totally different. Just want to clarify there. And those that had the palsy and he healed them. Notice this, verse 25. It goes right into our text in chapter 5. And there followed him great, what does it say next? Multitudes. Great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem. So that'd be to the south and from Judea, that region around Jerusalem, the the region in which Jerusalem is found. And from beyond Jordan. So like what would be modern day Jordan. So Transjordan area from all that region, they followed him. Multitudes. And seeing the multitudes, verse 1, chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came. <laughs> so you have it in your mind's eye. The multitudes are there. He separates himself from them and goes up into the mountain, sits down, and his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth. And we get to listen. The Bible says he taught them, saying, and here, here it begins. The Sermon on the Mount. Mercy. What a message. would like to get the MP3 of this, wouldn't you? <laughs> get to hear it in audio. We get to read it. It begins this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, God, of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Isn't that funny? I mean, not funny, but ironic. Blessed, happy are those that are sad. Huh. It's upside down. Well, maybe it's right side up. It is right side up. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, not the powerful. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. After righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, he says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt Of the earth. A little bit later, he's going to say, Ye are the light of the world. And then he's going to say a lot more that won't take weeks to mine out. (laughs) This morning, we'll probably just cover verses one and two in our beginning here. And I've entitled it This Our Lord's Mountain Perspective on Reaching the Multitudes. A mountain perspective on reaching the multitudes. There's something you need before you try to impact the world. There's something that is needed before you try, or you're a part of impacting the world. May God bless the reading of his word. Looking forward to getting into this here this morning. perhaps one of the most memorable preaching series among all the uh, years of preaching that Brother Davidson did, this uh, Sermon on the Mount. Some of you were here. I believe it was preached in 2002, it was before we came. I don't know if it was before that, I did. I had notes from 2002, and the series is entitled In the Discipleship Class with Jesus, in the discipleship, how many of you were here for that, in the discipleship class, okay, good number of you, and you're still in church, that's so good, <laughs> you listened, <laughs> you listened. Um, you know, I loved uh, the series, The Kings and the Prophets, exciting stories, fantastic, Fantastic. wasn't here for this one live. I've heard a lot of it by tape, CD, <laughs> online, other means times have changed. But what hasn't changed is the need for this section of scripture. 38 messages, I believe, went into that series. I don't foresee that we'll do, you know, that many. I mean, it was just a focused series that God put on Brother Sam's heart to We're in a series of the whole book. I have wondered how are we going to handle this when we come to this and I still don't know. (laughs) Perhaps it will be larger strokes in terms of what we're considering. For example, um, God put on Brother Sam's heart to to preach really, I mean, even in the Beatitudes, you know, what we read there, verse 13 through verse 12, Really, one beatitude at a time, one, I mean, for a whole sermon focused on blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, you can develop a whole message out of that, mind you, and he did, and uh, certainly merited that type of attention. So we're we're most likely going to do broader strokes, So, and when we come back to this series here, then we'll probably cover all the beatitudes. I'm going to touch on them a little bit here today, but... But, I mean, folks, this is a, a monumental section of Scripture, I feel like, and a, a mountaintop, truly, a mountain. You know, I mean, all of Scripture is relevant and all of Scripture is, is rich. And, uh, but, but it's like this is in, in concentrate form. And many of you, I've had people share with me how that that series literally changed your life. I just had somebody recently say, that serious in the discipleship class with Jesus literally changed my perspective. Well, that is actually what it's designed to do. It is. Uh, Brother Sam noted, he discipled the disciples for the sake of the multitudes. He discipled the disciples for the sake of the multitudes. I want to say more about that in just a little bit. But, but he also mentioned this and he said his kingdom, talking about Jesus' kingdom Did not and does not major upon having and doing, but Jesus' kingdom majors on this, upon being. Being. The kingdom or the system of this world majors on this, the wealth you have, the power you have, the things you have, the popularity you have, modern day terminology, the number of likes you have, the number of views you have, the number of followers you have, what you do, if you have what you want and you do what you want, then you should be happy. (laughs) Uh, But those that have everything quickly find out it's not what they really wanted. In Jesus' kingdom, character is what matters. Who you are is what matters. In fact, I jotted it down this way. Who you are is greater than what you have. Who you are is greater than what you do. And so that was emphasized back in 2002, if I've got the dates right, uh, right here at this, in this auditorium to this congregation, the vast majority of which is still here. In fact, we not long ago uh, in the Sunday school classes, uh, the adult Sunday school class, we went through that series in Sunday school form. And if you were here for that, I mean, that wasn't, but maybe what, a year ago, a year and a half ago, I'm, I've lost track of, of the time frame. but I'm here to tell you, friend, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt us to hear it again and to hear it again and to hear it again. Because, I mean, people outside of the faith, individuals, leaders like Gandhi and others have recognized there's something about what he said right here. Now, they could not implement it. They could not apply it because you've got to be born again to live it out. It'll, as Brother Sam said, it'll gag the casual Christian, it's quite a picture. Character is so important, a moral, ethical quality that you have that you can be trusted and that you can be depended upon. And character, I think we all understand somewhat about character, but, but we need to emphasize it, I think, again. And I thought about it this way, church. I thought about this, that if we do not emphasize the character that is taught in this passage as it is, if we, don't, if we do not emphasize that and if a new generation of Southwest Baptist Church coming up does not fully embrace the character that is that is that is captured here presented here by our savior then we will become a church different than what we have been and i believe that will be detrimental i'm not saying that we have reached This character. I believe this is something that we will always be striving for in this lifetime as we are here and and, and such. But I'm here to say that, that this character that is that is mentioned here by our Savior, it is not hereditary. Just because your grandparents just raised their hand a moment ago saying that they were here in 2002, that that messages, those series of messages from our Savior. And the reason it impacted lives was not even the preacher that was behind the pulpit, but rather it was the Savior's words that were getting into the soul of men and women and changing their lives. But listen, I'm, I'm telling you that just because your dad or your mom or your granddad or grandmother raised their hand and said, that series changed my life does not mean that it automatically changes yours. It is not hereditary. Many times I wish it was in the blood, but it's not in the blood. I'll tell you what is in the blood. The DNA of sin sin is selfishness. And that's what we are born with, sin. We want to do our will. We want to live under our administration. We want to be the CEO of the universe. And you oftentimes violate the laws of my kingdom. And Jesus is, is, is the king here in presenting his, his manifesto that if you are going to be my follower, then this is what it's going to look like. And it is not hereditary. It is not automatic. It does not mean that membership, if you are a member of this church, that does not, that does not mean that necessarily you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Membership does not equate discipleship. Would to God that all members of Southwest Baptist Church would indeed be a disciple, but that's not necessarily the case. A disciple is a learner, a disciple is one who follows the teaching of another. A disciple is not just a pupil but an adherent, not just somebody that hears what the master is teaching, but somebody that adheres to it, that sticks to it, that says that's true and I'm going to apply it to my life. There's a disciple. I have many young men on my class role that I teach at Heartland, pastoral responsibilities class, applied homiletics too. I have many, and I, I'm not trying to uh, uh, take a shot at them, throw them under the proverbial bus, I have many on the class roll, but I don't have that same number of students. Why do you say that? Well, because grading some this week during some snow hours, there were some that hadn't turned homework in. Are you calling them out right here on Sunday morning in front of everybody? I've got the list of names. Let me let them stand. (laughs) Whoo, Mercy. I've got many on the role, but not all are studying. Are you following what I'm saying? There are many on the membership role, but not all are studying what Jesus said and adhering to what he said. But all need to and all of us need to. Hey, listen, I could be the pastor of this church and not be a disciple. Being a pastor does not mean that you're automatically his disciple. You could be doing your own thing as a pastor. And so being a Sunday school teacher, being a, a, a person that grew up here in church, hey, does not equate that you are a disciple, but I'm here, I'm here today with good news because he invites you. He invites you to listen in as he disciples. Uh, John Stott, who wrote a whole book on the Sermon on the Mount, said this, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, though arguably it is the least understood and certainly is the least obeyed. Will you be his disciple? Will you let him develop you and develop in you the character traits that are necessary that, to be his disciple? That, those character traits, that's really what those beatitudes are. It's, it's character traits that, that, are, that are counterculture. What prompted this? He'd been laboring, working among the multitudes, and here, here was the multitudes before Jesus. Jesus. We would think this, multitudes, preach to them, and he did. Chapter 4, verse 17, he preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He preached to the multitudes. Many of them were saved. Many of them were converted. Many of them were born again. Many of them uh, got things right in their life and began to follow him. And, And yet here's the multitudes that were before him. And he separates himself from the multitudes to speak to his disciples apart from the multitudes. Maybe some on the French heard him, but he was not lifting up his voice that day to speak to the multitudes. He was speaking to those that would be serious about following him. Multitudes. Multitudes. Uh, This word in the Bible uh, is is often used, but but I'm talking about even just this word here in the New Testament that we read, multitudes, is used in the New Testament 175 times. Listen to this. In only six books. It appears 48 times. Number one on the chart would be Matthew. Matthew. Matthew, 48 times, it shows up in Matthew. 27% of the time, a little bit over 27% of the time, it's found right here in the Gospel of Matthew. Luke is second with 41, and Mark is, is third with 36. Acts is fourth with 22. John is fifth with 19. The book of Revelation is, uh, is whatever sixth with four. In many ways, that even tells a story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, multitudes, 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 and in the book of Acts, multitudes. Book of Revelation, multitudes. Of the four times that it's used in the book of Revelation, Three of those times, it's when the multitudes, every tongue, I so enjoyed the song, but there and about with God, all things are possible. And to hear the people in their own languages singing praise unto our great God. Multitudes eventually that will be in eternity future. And around the throne, those already in heaven now, singing praises unto our great God, and multitudes there, multitudes. I mean tens of thousands and people, I mean myriads. I can't even begin to wrap my brain around how many people are there, thank God. Multitudes. But the fact that it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and in Acts indicates that we've got a window of time, and the epistles would only overlap the book of Acts. It means we have only a window of time to reach the multitudes. How then do you reach the multitudes? In fact, the book here, if you look look at chapter 8 and verse number 1, just real quick, chapter 8 and verse 1, just turn over there, you'll see the word multitudes again. When he was come down from the mountain, so he was there in the mountain, then he came down, what happened? Great multitudes followed him. Our theme this year comes out of Matthew chapter 9. If you'll turn over there, chapter 9 and verse number 36, sorry, 36, 936, when he saw what? The multitudes. Let me ask you a question here. Was Jesus indifferent to the needs of the multitudes? No, he'd been preaching to them. He'd been healing them. But but here I submit to you that he's not preaching to the multitudes because there's not the word repent in this Sermon on the Mount. Although everything we read in the Sermon on the Mount will make every believer repent. Not for salvation, but because we are saved and we're not acting like it. You follow me? But here he's not addressing the lost because lost people can't do this. I do believe that this is applicable to our day and age, even though some say, no, that's just kingdom type living. That's not true. This is what Jesus expects today. He is not indifferent to the multitudes. In fact, he's not indifferent then. He's not indifferent now. But what he did is he turned from the many to focus on the few. Because they must reflect his character in the world. G. Campbell Morgan said that he left the multitudes and that he might get back to the multitudes. This upcoming uh, week or so, in two weeks, a week and a half now, we have the missions conference. We're leaving the multitudes of people to conference together about the needs of the multitudes to get in us what he wants in us so that we can go back out to the multitudes. He challenges us today. Mountains, it says he, he saw the multitudes, seeing the multitudes, he went up. It says back in chapter 5 and verse 1, he went up into a mountain. Mountains are significant in the Bible. You'll see mountains. Uh, Abraham took Isaac up into the mountain. Moses went up into Mount Sinai. Elijah uh, there prayed a relatively short prayer compared to the half-day prayer of the false prophets of Baal. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar that had been totally drenched. It was on Mount Carmel, and and Jesus was tempted on the mountain. Here he preaches on the mountain. In chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, his glory is shown to Peter, James, and John. He would be crucified on a mountain, and at the end of his, his time here on earth, he would go back to a mountain in Galilee to ascend into heaven. Prior to that, he gives the Great Commission to his disciples. I'm telling you, great significant things happen on a mountain. A mountain. Why? Well, he spoke, it says, when he was set, he was sitting and speaking with his disciples and they came, his disciples came unto him. We know for sure, you know, all uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John were there. But if you look at chapter 10, then you would also assume by this time that it was not just the four, but it was also the other, the other, uh, others among the 12, his disciples were before him and he began to teach them. And what does he emphasize? In one word, character. Integrity. Sincerity. Godliness. Christ-like character. So we pick up Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What we're doing is we're looking in the mirror of the Word of God. And we're seeing how Jesus is. And here's what we're going to see. I guarantee it. For every one of us, we're going to see how we're not like him. But we're also going to see this, how he wants to make us like him. And if we're going to reach the multitudes, we've got to have that type of character. Because if you don't have this type of character, you won't last on the field. Uh, This is amazing to me, just how this overlapped with the the class I mentioned a moment ago. And by the way, those students hopefully will get their homework in, (laughs) especially now. (laughs) But in pastoral responsibilities class, it was was unreal just how the discussion we had in there, there's a few moments in a class setting, those that are teaching would understand there's some times when it's just like, there's some extra light right there, just kind of cleared off a spot. And wrote on the board, who is greater than where? Who you are is really more important than where you go. Not not that where you go is not important, because I do believe that our God in heaven, that is the Lord of the harvest, would send forth His labors into His harvest, and that He has no problem in communicating. We just have problems hearing and obeying but i believe he can move his laborers but and so who and where you go is very important but if you get the wrong who and the right where you've got problems who is greater than where in other words character Character is, is to be emphasized, and, and in doing some of the grading, uh, please excuse me for all this, just kind of being on my, on my heart and mind, it just all kind of converged into, into this message, and, and, and so one of the students, I tried to look back to see which it was and Applied Homiletics, using illustration, so I'm going to borrow it, thank you, uh, about Willis Tower in Chicago, you know, as it's, as it's so tall, it used to be Sears Tower, in fact, I believe it was Trevor, as we went there on vacation, he called it the Sears Tower, and there it is, it's Sirius. 108 floors, uh, 109 if you count, you know, the, the, the part as far as mechanical and such. 1,450 feet tall, a skyscraper, of course, there in, in Chicago. And, and so it's so incredible. And you go out, you know, on that, on that part there where it's like all glassed in and you're looking straight down. Incredible if you've got the nerve to do it. Everybody, I mean, people pay money, 20-something dollars, to go up, you know, in, in Willis Tower and see the view of Chicago. And, and it's, it's incredible just how tall it is. But what you don't see is that 100 feet deep, there's concrete. And then I read about some other things that I didn't really understand that also go about 100 feet deep that anchor 100 feet deep, I guarantee you, nobody pays $25 to go 100 foot deep in concrete and just see that. They don't have such a tour. And can you imagine, you get to ride this little elevator down and what are you looking at? Concrete, 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 concrete. Get down to the bottom, what do you see? Concrete! That's it! Let's come back up, concrete. That's all it is, 100 foot deep, but I'm telling you, it would not stand. It would not stand in the Windy windy City. It would not stand in Chicago if it did not have that kind of foundation. And what Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 is, it is Jesus digging deep in the lives of his disciples. And sometimes, folks, we don't like the way that he digs deep in us, but he's got to dig deep because your life won't stand if you don't have the right foundation. And that foundation is Christ-like character. It's digging deep to make you sincere. Another uh, individual, Brother Trevin, mentioned in class that, that the definition of sincere comes from without wax. And, and as that potter would hold up a vessel and he holds it up to the sun, he holds it up to the light. Then, then if, if somebody tried to pull a fast one over, you know, people as they were selling pottery and such, they could maybe take some wax and fill in that crack that was there. But, but there it would, it would have a, a crack there and it's revealed. The true character is revealed by the light. But if it was sincere, that literally means without wax. It means it's whole. God holds our lives up to the light. See if there's any cracks in our lives. In our character. Because if there's cracks in your character, it'll show up in your marriage. It'll show up in your Parenting. It'll show up in your life as a child. It'll show up in your life as a church member. It'll show up under pressure in, the, in your life as a missionary. You listening to me? Character. This is Jesus' call for his disciples to be different. Salt, light. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he will say. They had a religious facade Jesus would not tolerate. When, whereas we said the Pharisees were concerned about the minute details of conduct, but they neglected the major matter of character. Conduct flows out of character. Jesus said things like this... Be not like unto them. In fact, in in one phrase, if if one phrase were to encapsulate all the Sermon on the Mount, it really would be that, don't be like them. Don't be like the the heathen that pray incessantly and, and just say words, vain babblings, and they just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, but they're not really praying to the true and living God. Don't be like them because you've got a Father in heaven. And then don't pray to be seen of men like the Pharisees were. Don't pray and don't give and and don't don't do the things. Don't fast to be seen of men because I see right through your religious facade. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. In other words, Jesus is calling you today to be different. To be different. This world needs to see believers that are like Christ, not more of the same like the world. It's a sharp contrast that is laid out here and it's all of life that ought to be under Jesus' control and and it ought to be such that that somebody could look at your life and see there's somebody that's like Jesus. I'm asking you this morning and every one of us would say, no, I fall so short of that and and that's right and it's true but, but that ought to be our desire. I want to be more like Him. I went yesterday to... The funeral for Brother Ernest J. Hughes, 100 years old. Drove his car till 99 and a half. That's a blessing. (laughs) Worked at the fair. I didn't know he even did stuff at the fair till he's like age 97. Incredible man. Married for 77 years. 77. That takes character. That's digging deep. 77 years. I enjoyed, I believe it was one of the great grandkids at that point, it could have been a great great, asked him to come to school with him or her, I don't remember which. Asked him to come to school for show and tell. (laughs) You've never seen anybody this old. My great, great... Old Poppy, I think they called him Old Poppy. 99 years old. Show and tell. That awesome. I love that. Show and tell. Can I get real serious here just a minute? Could your child take you to school and say, Here's my dad, here's my mom. Show and tell. This is what a Christian looks like. They're poor in spirit, they're merciful. They mourn over me when I do wrong. Show and tell. Could they take you as a grandparent? Could your brother take you? Could your sister take you? Show and tell. Here's my brother. Here's my sister. Here's my aunt. Here's my uncle. Here's my fellow church member. Here's my friend. Here's my teacher. Here's my pastor. Here's my son. Here's my daughter. Show and tell for Christ. That's what the world needs, isn't it? This type of character is not what politicians run their platform on. It's counterculture. It's not what you're going to read lifted up and glorified and glamorized in a magazine. It's not what you're going to find in the highlights of the night on SportsCenter. It's not going to make the news. Somebody being meek, somebody being merciful, somebody being pure in heart. It may or it may not, but most of the time it's not in the news. It's not what the world is going to lift up and this is what you ought to be like. I'm telling you, living this kind of life may not get you 10,000 likes. May not mean people are signing up to be your follower it's not going to generate a lot of traffic on instagram and twitter and tiktok and facebook and etc and all the platforms where people are screaming look at me and see me and like me no it probably isn't going to get you anywhere there but i'll tell you who it'll have favor with it'll have favor with the one who sits upon the throne whose opinion of you really matters that even though the world around you may not see and and you may do things that gets no applause he sees he knows and he commends character. He's he so pleased with his son that he wants all people to be like him. Amen. Amen. I'm afraid that the words of John Stott echo true into this generation. In fact, not just echo, but are amplified when he says, For so, insofar as the church is conformed to the world and the two appear to the onlooker to be merely Two versions of the same thing. The church is contradicting its true identity. You hear what he's saying? Sadly, and I'm not just talking about the style of service that a person has or a church has, though that certainly ought to be considered. And Jesus would want a holy church service, no doubt about it. But you can have a holy church service complete with the King James Bible and people dressed right and trying to honor God, and yet that have a bad attitude when they come to the workplace. And that, that just rip into their wife or rip into their husband or belittle their children. I'm telling you, you're contradicting what Jesus said here. It's not fun for me to say that. It's not pleasant for me to say that. But listen, the more and more that the church and churches, I mean, churches by that, we understand churches are more and more like the world around us being two versions of the same. We're going against what Jesus said. In fact, he said this, Mr. Stott did. He said, no comment could be more hurtful to the Christian than these words. You're no different than anybody else. You're no different than anybody else. You cuss like everybody else. You watch what everybody else watches. you got an attitude like everybody else. You cheat like everybody else. You lie. You steal. You, you, you drink like everybody else. Hey, you're like everybody else. I'm telling you, that's an indictment. Because we're called to be disciples like Christ. Sermon on the Mount is the most complete description anywhere in the New Testament, he said, of the Christian counterculture. We're going completely against what this world represents. What kind of life would this produce? Well, I submit to you this morning that though perhaps I've come across heavy and strong in in preaching this, and I think you understand as to why, Jesus begins his sermon this way, blessed, (laughs) oh, the happiness is of, I mean the true joy of, I'm just trying to get across. Life as Jesus' disciple is not a miserable experience. It is a joyful experience. Because our joy is in who He is. Not in what we have or our circumstances around us. These eight character traits that we'll get into here in the coming weeks... By the way, are not for you to pick and choose which ones you want to be strong in. I, I like that one, but I'm not doing that one. No, these are not eight multiple choice. You get to choose which ones. All eight are supposed to be a part of your life. You're supposed to be pure in heart. Well, when Jesus wrote, you know, not to look upon somebody with lust, he didn't understand the type of day that we were going to live in where it's on billboards and everywhere around. He doesn't change his word. You're still supposed to be pure. You say, well, it's not a big deal if you just look. He said it was. It's for everyone here. We're living in a time when people promote themselves. Preacher, you can't, you, if, you, if you don't stand up and if you don't go after what you want, you're going to get trampled on and somebody's going to use you as a step or a rung in the corporate ladder and they're just going to climb over you. And, and if, I don't, if I don't falsify information here go along with even what my supervisor wants and I won't get that promotion, then don't get the promotion. Let it go to somebody else that's of the world that's acting like the world. Don't let it go to you as a Christian that ought to be reflected in your Savior in pure holiness and true righteousness causes to a whole nother level of living. See, uh, the people of God, I mean, really, we got to think about the context of all this. The people of God, Israel in particular, had, had been in such danger and so inclined to assimilate or become like the culture that was around them. I'm telling you, just like we are today, we are much more inclined to conform than we are to be transformed. And Israel became more and more like the world, and thus we have the book of Judges. And then they became more and more like the world and we have the kings and the prophets and we have men of God that came up on the scene and said, listen, you need to get things right with God. You're not acting like the people of God. You're acting like the pagans that are around you. You need to get right. And, and so they didn't listen. They didn't listen at that time. And so we have the book of Daniel where they're carted off to captivity and the judgment of God comes upon them, see. And then there's the years of silence. But finally, that, that those years of silence is broken as a Baptist preacher shows up on the scene and says, listen, you've been living wrong against God and you need to get things right with God. And he he's a voice crying in the wilderness. He says, I'm not anything, but he's everything. I'm not even worthy to loosen his his shoe strap. He's everything. And so you ought to I must decrease, he must increase. And he preached, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so once you have repented. The Bible talks about you being born from above and thus you have a brand new life. And chapter 5 through 7 is the results of repentance. It's not the way for you to get things right, but it says this, if you are saved, you are born again. These characteristics ought to be showing up and telling the world you're born again and you're like Jesus. And if not, you've got some things to get right with your Heavenly Father. You see, because following Jesus demands and develops character that will reach the world following Jesus please don't take that out of the equation this is not a rule list of rules and relegations Relegations that you've got to live up to. No, it is loyalty to the person of Jesus Christ, which means you need salvation. And once you are in relationship with Him, then what begins to show up in your life is a humble spirit, whereas you had been proud. A meek spirit, whereas you had been haughty. A mournful spirit, where used to you took sin lightly, but now it bothers you. It shows up in your life as a hunger and a thirst after righteousness because you really want to know God and have things right in your life with Him. It shows up in your life as purity where there had been impurity. It shows up as peacemaker where you had been a peace faker or a peace breaker and now you're a peacemaker. Are you following me? I'm telling you, Jesus radically changes our lives to be like His. Following Him develops, demands and develops character that can be used to reach the world. A text like this demands introspection. Show and tell. Here's a person of character. I want to say this this morning. I'm so glad because I, I know my character in the past laying on the ground. He can take the pieces and put it back together. Because you, you may be thinking, ah, it's too late for me. He can't use me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this to people who had a past. Discipleship demands that you join in and analyze yourself to see, okay, where's their where's character flaws in me? Can you be trusted? Does your spouse have to worry about you and who you're talking to and who you're with? Does your parents have to worry what you're doing? Does somebody have to always come up and check on you? That's a lack of character, you see. Character. He cares about the multitudes. But to reach them, he uses us. And to reach the multitudes through us, he must develop in us who he is. Let's stand together here this morning. Heavenly Father, um, just our initial <clears throat> survey of this certainly reveals where we come short and we know that we can't do more in our own effort to make up for that difference. And that's why you give grace. God, I pray that you'd help this church, Lord, at a very deep level, that you would help us, Lord, to once again consider the character traits of a disciple, to let you disciple us, to point out where we've been wrong so that we can get it right with you. Lord, would you give us that hunger and thirst for righteousness? Lord, dig deep in our lives, I pray. Help us to get this foundation of Christ-like character that in turn we might go out into the world and make a difference, have an impact, to be salt and light, but we will not without character. Oh God, help us, I do pray in Jesus' name.